Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Thank you, Joseph. See, ultimate hype man, but at the same time, I hate that every time I speak, you somehow go before me. And so it's going to be very underwhelming afterwards, but... And thank you also wearing the Bulls jersey, reminding me how miserable this offseason has been for the Knicks. Um, but Brooklyn Nets fans, any Brooklyn Nets fans? Yeah. I got one. <laughs> Listen, if you're not a basketball fan and you want to be a fan right now, the Brooklyn Nets, they're hot. It's a good time to get on the bandwagon. Yeah. All right. The New York Knicks, you might have to wait like 10, 15 more years. So we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, well... Thank you for being with us. If it's your first time here, um, we're so glad and honored that somehow you found out or heard about us and you're joining us here today. Um, Russell, our lead pastor, is not here. He is enjoying his Sabbath and vacation. Um, I just came back from a week break and my mind is still on vacation mode, so please um, pardon me as I kind of just get back into the mode. Um, But today, I am not preaching on the politics of Jesus. Um, I do not want any uh, emails, Um, so Russ allowed me to kind of pick what I wanted to preach, and it's so tough when, you know, you kind of have like, hey, the world's open, whatever you want to preach on, you know, and so I prepared like 30 sermons, so I'm hoping this one is the right one, Um, pray through it, Um, and this is something that I've kind of, my heart's been very like just attached to as, um, I I don't know, just a season of my life right now, um, how important and valuable it is. Um, to be seen, to be known, and to be loved. And so I'm going to be kind of diving into that. And I wanted to open up with a question, but actually before I even get to that, can we, can we just pray um, together? Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much um, for bringing us into this place with air conditioning. <laughs> to be nice and cool in here. Um, we thank you for just this family, whether it's our first time here or we've been here for a couple of years. Um, we just thank you for all of this. Um, the luxury of just being able to worship you um, and to be able to enjoy the fellowship of one another. Father, I pray that today that your word uh, may be just spoken to our hearts, that it may not be my words that um, captivates um, the hearts towards you, but Father, may it be your spirit, your kindness, your gentleness, and your peace that really just comforts our hearts. And so Father, let us hear from you. Let us be attentive to your word, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you may come and just be with us. We thank you and love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I wanted to open up this question. When was the last time you felt seen, known, and loved? It's it's, it's a weird thing to think about because, you know, obviously, visibly, physically, we're being seen. Um, People, you know, we bump into people all the time, living in the city, everyone's crammed in. You're always seeing people. But this combination of being seen, known, and loved is a very unique combination. And for us, maybe we've experienced one of the three time to time. And for me, I was in um, Portland last week, um, loved the city, had a great time. Weather was great while everybody was baking here in New York. Um, And... You know, we, we, there's this apparently like famous ice cream shop that we went multiple times. Um, we, we, were, we got an Airbnb right by there, so we kind of just like, you know, just we kept checking out the lines. We walked by the place every day, <laughs> and we slid in when there was no line. Um, but we went there uh, twice, and on the second time there, um, there was just a simple interaction with one of the people that were working there. 
and we, he was the person that served us the first time we went. Literally, we landed, and then we went out to get some ice cream. Um, but he remembered seeing us. And we recalled, obviously, having a conversation with him. And it was a simple interaction, you know, just, hey, where are you from? Are you from here? You know, we're visiting. That was it. And the second time we went, the simple thing of saying, hey, ice cream's on me, right? And, you know, free ice cream is always the best ice cream. And so I'm like, you know, my wife and I were just floored because it was like we, we just literally met you and you're just sharing this generous kindness to us. And we just felt so loved. <laughs> we felt like that they, they, he remembered us. And something that small can, A, just make your day and just feel like the world is not that terrible, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but I want to ask, when was the last time we've experienced this really, someone just seeing us for who we are, knowing us and loving us deeply? It's a powerful feeling when we receive this type of affection. But oddly, it's a rare experience to come across someone that sees us truthfully, knows us intimately, and loves us unconditionally. It's extremely refreshing when we can be vulnerable with someone and not feel judged or condemned. I don't know if you've kind of had the same encounter. Like, for me, I, I just keep running thing through, things through my head. I always think worst case scenario. Um, so even as I come up to preach, I think worst case scenario, right? Like, no one is going to listen to anything I'm going to say. People are going to start walking out. Like, I think of worst case scenario. Um, but whenever, like, I have a conversation with someone, I'm always trying to, like, you know, curate my words, uh, curate my thoughts. Like, I wonder if this person's going to judge me for what I'm going to say. I wonder if this person's going to, you know, mock me for my beliefs or the things that I, you know, that I hold dear to me. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why I stay away from all forms of Twitter and Facebook. Um, I don't want to be involved in anything <laughs> in, that, in that public space because uh, I'm always afraid I'm going to be judged, right? Uh, the only thing I'm public about, public about is my diehard Knicks fandom, um, which is which has been brutal. Um, still, I'm still defending them till this day. They made good decisions. Um, <laughs> but it's extremely refreshing when you just have that one-on-one -on -one conversation and you find that person that you can just speak openly with. That even though you have differing opinions and views, that you don't feel judged or condemned. It's also very rewarding when we get to a place without pretenses and superficial conversations. That you can just meet with someone, talk with someone, and immediately just dive in to deeper conversations. And I'm going to be honest, so I still feel fairly new. Um, if you feel like, hey, I'm, I've only been here for a while, I, I'm approaching a year right now <laughs> at Hope. It feels like a long time, but at the same time, I'm still getting to know people. Um, I'm always gauging like, okay, how deep of a conversation can I have with this individual? Um, so if I've been very superficial and a lot of pretenses, I'm still trying to get to know you, <laughs> all right? And so please forgive me. But isn't it so rewarding when you get to that place where you can just ignore all that and just dive into a conversation with someone? There's that intimacy. And living in an urban city like New York can make these experiences pretty challenging. We can go days, weeks, or months without being seen. We can be seen, but never truly known. We can be known and never truly loved. 
Because think about the amount, the volume of people we see on a daily basis. And as we look across on the subway rides, on our walks, in the coffee shops, in the restaurants, we see people. Even at church, we see people. But how well do we know one another? And how deeply do we care and love the people that we see? See, it's important to acknowledge that these desires, they're, they're to be noticed, validate, our, our, our desire to be noticed, validated, and recognized are not necessarily vain or pretentious intentions. They come from a deep truth that we are valued, worthy, and loved. See, for me growing up, um, obviously everyone has a different cultural experience, but, you know, from, I, I, I was kind of just taught and just don't be, you know, attention-seeking, right? Just be in the background, just do your thing, mind your own business, right? How many times have we heard that line? You know, just mind your own business, right? Um, you're too loud, <laughs> you know, you're, you're being obnoxious. Like, so my, my constant fear is I don't want to be obnoxious. I don't want to be rude. I don't want to, you know, be a nuisance to people. So I kind of just try to stay out of the way. But then there's some of us that, you know, like my friends, which I've experienced as I grown up and met all different types of personalities and people, and they, they love being up front, like Joseph. I cannot pull that off. <laughs> if you come on the day that I give announcements, it is not, it's nowhere on that level of intensity, right? He has mastered that craft, right? And so not, not saying that any of this art is bad, right? But what I'm saying is I don't want us to ignore or think that Things like being noticed or wanting to be acknowledged are bad feelings. It's because that's how we were created. See, it's a truth that originates from God, our divine creator, creating us with purpose and love. And when we have the confidence to understand that we were created with purpose and love, of course we feel like we should be acknowledged, we should be seen, we should be known and we should be loved. See, therefore, we'll always have a longing to be visible. We'll have a longing to be embraced. And if not in our own lives, we love witnessing that, you know, in other people's lives. You know, the feel-good viral videos when people are being noticed and recognized, right? The, the small voices, like, I know Russell one time, he preached and he shared an illustration of America's Got Talent. And if you don't watch that show, get on it. <laughs> it is the best feel-good thing you'll ever experience, right? Um, if you don't even watch the show, just look up a YouTube clips. It'll just make you tear. But it's like you take these stories of people that were just nobodies with all these challenges and difficulties, and then now they're center stage for the world, right? Like being acknowledged for their talents and for their giftings and for all these abilities that they probably were passed up on. You know, and the stories are always like, you know, I used to just sing in, like, in bars and the street corners, and then now they're like in this competition, televised, nationally. And we, we love seeing that in the stories of other people. And for me, I love seeing that in movies. And so I have a kind of a confession to make. I love romantic comedies. Um, yeah, my wife is like, I don't know if she enjoys it as much as I do. I try to show her like old school romantic comedies, and she's like, I don't get it. Um, but um, one of my favorite movies is 50 First Dates with Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler, right? Okay, awesome. If you don't know the movie, pretty much it's a ripoff of Groundhog Day. Um, and Drew Barrymore is this girl that she gets into a car accident and she 
she continues to relive, relive the same day over and over because um, she has this type of amnesia. I know we have a lot of doctors in the house. I don't know how medically accurate this, <laughs> this condition is, but apparently she keeps thinking it's the same day over and over again. And Adam Sandler meets her, falls in love with her, and, he, and then he you know, tries to go on a date with her, but then she doesn't remember him. So the whole movie is of him trying to make her fall in love with him day after day. And the whole movie, you're just rooting for Adam Sandler because you're like, don't you remember him, <laughs> right? Like she keeps forgetting who he is. And I'm not going to ruin the end of the movie because I learned one thing of preaching. I won't get angry emails about a lot of things I say up here, but if I ruin and give a spoiler, it's over, <laughs> right? Like you guys will just be angry at me for the rest of the sermon. So I just learned no, no spoilers. And there's other half of you in this room, like just tell me what happens. You could Google it later because there's no service here. Um, so... We, we love to see this, like, you know, being embraced, being visible, being remembered, being acknowledged. And yet, unfortunately, there's a heartbreaking story in Genesis and why these experiences are so rare and difficult. And so in Genesis 3, 8 to 11, this is, ad, this is after Adam and Eve, um, you know, they, they disobey God, they eat the fruit that they were tempted by, and now sin has entered into humanity. There's a fracture of the perfect world that God intended. And at this point, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Um, I don't know if you guys can recall when, you know, we're younger, or maybe, I don't know, even now as adults, uh, when you've made a mistake and you know your parents are coming, <laughs> right? Like the, the punishment is coming, they're, like, you're, they're on the lookout, right? You're just hiding, you're trying to stay out of the house as long as you can to kind of just like delay the whole process. But there's this moment where God is finally, they, they, they heard, Adam and Eve heard God in the garden, right? And they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. See, Sometimes we just look over this passage as a narrative. But when we, when we realize the tragedy of what is happening here, Adam and Eve, who were created by God, and they, they had this community with God, they had this intimate presence with God, and all of a sudden it's fractured, and they have this need to hide themselves from the presence of God. Imagine hiding from the one that, you, that, that just loves you dearly and intimately, from the person that you loved once so much, and then having the need to hide from them, to fear them in an unhealthy manner. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And this is always one of my favorite questions because obviously God knows where he is. You know, if you ever played hide and seek with a child, they're not that great. <laughs> right? Like, you clearly see where they are at, and then they go to the same hiding spot over and over and over again, but you have to play the game, right? You can't be like, I found you, right? Let's have fun. Um, you gotta go, oh, I wonder where so-and-so is, right? You gotta play the game. So, God is asking, where are you? Because obviously there's a deeper theological question, and God is playing a game here. He wants Adam and Eve to reveal themselves of what they have done, he wants them to be able to confess and to own to the heartbreak that just happened. And he, God says, I heard the, uh, Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. 
And I love this line by God. Who told you that you are naked? Right? Because Adam and Eve, like, it's not like, you know, God, like, gave them, like, designer clothes from the start. Like, it was, they were just, they're were, they were man and woman. There was no shame. They were naked. But all of a sudden, Adam acknowledges, I was afraid because I was naked. He felt exposed. See, that's what sin does. As sin enters into this world and fragments our reality and our, our, our lives, there's this shame that comes, this fear of being exposed. And then God asks, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And this is such a tragic moment for Adam and Eve, but also for us as humanity. Fear enters into this world. We see for the first time this rift between humanity and God represented in Adam and Eve. They feel ashamed. They're, they're hiding themselves. And obviously, God casts them out of the garden, right? And Adam and Eve, they're trying to, they're trying to cover themselves with fig leaves and just, just whatever they could find to create garments of clothes. But it's interesting that as God exiles them from the garden, from his pure and perfect garden, he clothes them. He gives them garments to wear. And that's going to be important to recognize later on. But for the first time, humanity experiences shame and fear. And this is the start of a vicious cycle of us trying to be seen and known and loved. It's a cycle of humanity and we as people just constantly fighting for that affection, constantly jockeying to be seen over others, to be loved deeper than others, just to be known, to be recognized. And as a byproduct of living in a world that is tragically broken by sin, we also experience the painful realities of being rejected, ignored, and abandoned. And these, all of this can come in different shapes and forms, but the abandonment of a father or mother, the emotional unavailability of a significant other, being passed up on a job opportunity, not being acknowledged, not receiving a thank you, right? We're like, why does that make us so angry, right? When we don't receive a thank you, right? Hold the door, people just walk by, like, you're welcome, right? Like, <laughs> you know, why does it, like, I always question myself, like, why does this anger just boil inside of me, right? Like, am I doing it for the acknowledgement? Am I, you know, so these moments of rejection, of being ignored and abandoned, and they come in different shapes and forms, obviously different levels of intensity, um, I, we had, we had, my wife and I had a neighbor, and every time I'll see them on the neighborhood, um, the wife would always say hi. But for some reason, the husband just never knew me. <laughs> We've exchanged names a thousand times. I've introduced myself a hundred times. Um, and I would literally just wave shamelessly at him as if he knew me, right? Like, like, like Joseph was talking about. I will just wave hi, and he will just keep on walking. Uh, and, my, and Christy would just laugh. <laughs> She's like, you're invisible. <laughs> it hurts, <laughs> right? You put yourself out there and they just ignore you. Um, but, you know, we, there's d different degrees of this, obviously. And we end up in this vicious cycle of experiencing the painful realities of these things. And eventually what happens is our overwhelming desire to remedy this rift can become destructive to our spirit, our emotional health, 
and relationship with God and others. Because we have this longing, and there's nothing wrong with this longing, because it's a divine longing that God has placed in us. It's a recognition that, yes, I have worth, I have value. Therefore, I I, I need to receive the love and embrace of others. There's nothing wrong with that, but it becomes destructive when we as humanity, as men, women, like when we try to remedy this rift on our own, when we try to fix this cycle and break this cycle by different avenues of choice, it's, it begins to control our thinking. We place our identity on being seen, right? How others view us, that becomes our identity. We throw ourselves to the public to be known. Like, there's so much information of our, ourselves going out, and, you know, there's always that debate and that conversation about, you know, parents posting, I, I have no views on this, I don't really care, they're your children, do whatever you want, but parents posting their kids, and like, imagine this kid being a teenager, and now there's a bunch of naked baby pictures of them around the internet, right? Like, <laughs> we don't know what's gonna look, what that's gonna feel like, what's gonna be like, we're still like a couple of years out from that, right? But there's so much public knowledge being out. Like, our, there's zero privacy, right? We compromise and we settle for what resembles a flicker of love. And our culture today is evident that we're trying to be seen, known, and loved. There's an outcry that this is something that needs to be cured. We look at social media, and it's interesting because we're in a moment in time where we live more publicly ever than ever before, but we desire more privacy. The reason I believe like we're stuck in this dilemma is because we want to present the best parts of who we are, but not be exposed for the worst parts of our lives, right? And you know, that's the whole discussion on social media. Like we, it's, it's a big fantasy, right? We, we post the best experiences, the best moments of our lives, and even our quote-unquote failed moments, right? It's the kind of just, it's this jockeying of, hey, look, I'm human too, <laughs> right? It's, it's, this, it's this entire culture of presenting ourselves as something that we're not. It's something that we want to be seen and known for. But that doesn't necessarily mean that people really see us and know us. And it's weird because I'm a, I don't really post that much on Instagram. And anything I do post, uh, my wife has learned to just filter everything for me and she sends me a picture and I just put it up, right? Because I don't know how to do any of that other stuff. <laughs> um, but it, I'm, I'm an Instagram stalker, all right? So if you have Instagram I'm following you, I don't post anything, but I'm on all the time. But I look at people's lives. <laughs> and I know so much about them, but I haven't spoken to them in like two years, right? It's, like for me, I just had this epiphany, like this is kind of creepy, right? Like, I know so much about your life, right? I know how many kids you have. I know what you do with your kids, right? I know their names, but I never met them, <laughs> right? And I haven't spoken to you in five years. So there's just so much pu- like public knowledge that is being revealed, but yet, as, as people, how well do we know one another? And how deeply do we love the things that we see? And not just with social media, but with our achievements, right? We want to be recognized for our milestones. And there's nothing wrong with celebrating our milestones. But what happens is when that becomes our object, our goal in life, it becomes destructive. Because our achievements, like us, for us being acknowledged for our achievements, 
is a painful thing down the road. Because the moment that we fail or we don't live up to expectations, it will crush us. So when we begin to live for these achievements that others can see in us, our resumes, our titles, our academic achievements, when that becomes the driving force of our lives, it can become very destructive. And I understand this because by nature, I'm an extremely competitive person, right? And I don't believe in participation awards, <laughs> okay? I, if, I, don't, I don't want a participation award. If I'm last, I'm last, <laughs> right? And for those of us that played on the basketball team with me, I apologize. I've been repenting ever since that day, right? Like, it was a balancing of me not yelling but wanting to win at the same time, right? And it's because we want to be known for our achievements, we want to be acknowledged for our, the milestones that we set. And we will work tirelessly to be noticed, to be recognized and embraced. And sadly and tragically, we realize that we're capable to lie and cheat in ways we never imagined. We're willing to distort reality so that we can be seen a certain way and to be known a certain way. Um, when I was younger, um, I didn't notice the state capital of New York. I thought it was a Big Apple. Um, and when they gave me a second guess, I said Empire State Building. <laughs> um, I was in my second grade, <laughs> all right? Um, and I just remember just being made fun of for being dumb, right? Just being mocked, being laughed, and it was just like, and they just kept asking me because they just wanted more ridiculous answers out of me. And I remember that day, I went home, opened up a map, and I just began to study every capital in the United States, all right? And I should have gone to America's Got Talent in second grade. I could name every capital in the U.S. off the top of my head. But the sad thing is I went back the next day and I said, now I know what the capital is. And then I started quizzing them on other state capitals and they said, I don't care. Um, <laughs> and so that, it seems like such a silly moment, but I realized how early childhood shaped so much of my future because now I hate being the dumbest kid or the dumbest person in the room. I feel like I need to know everything, act like I know everything, and if I don't, thank God for Google, right? Like, I need to just, like, I just need to know. And it's frustrating, because when I don't know something, I feel so ashamed. I feel like a failure. Because I want to be known as the guy that has the answers to everything. But I really don't. I want to be the one that has all the advice in the room, right? Have, just be filled with wisdom, but I don't, and I'm not. And in John 8, 1 to 11, we see something very interesting, because for us, we've been trying so hard to remedy this cycle of being seen, known, and loved. Recycle, being seen, known, and loved. And we kind of just keep fishing around until we find that one truth or that one person that can give us that. And yet, it still doesn't satisfy us. But in John 8, 1, 8, 1 to 11, there's a story of a woman who's caught in adultery. And it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And when, when it says Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, this is usually the place where he went to retreat from the crowd. This is where he went to go pray, have his own time with the Father. He retreated from the crowd. And early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, Right? And he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman 
who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. And I want to pause there for a second because this is, this is very bizarre. First of all, it takes two people to be caught in adultery, right? Where is the man? <laughs> right? Why is it only the woman, right? And there's, she doesn't even have a name. They don't even, rec- they don't even say what her profession was. She doesn't have a name. But apparently the scribes and Pharisees, it's a little creepy, but they had this plan. I'm gonna, we're going to trap Jesus in this tough situation, and we need bait. And that bait is trying to catch someone in the midst of adultery. So they, they catch this woman undeniably. She's caught in the act. She's guilty. And they bring her to Jesus in the temple. Now in the law... Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They're kind of distorting the law, but I'm not going to get too much into that. Then they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. So see, the whole thing is a conspiracy to try to trap Jesus in this tough situation. And Jesus bent down and wrote wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to him, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now, now on, and sin no more. This is just such a powerful encounter. Because a lot of times when I read the scripture, I'm like, Jesus, what are you going to do? Right? Like I, I, I try to place my sights and my, my, my mind in the mind of Jesus. What are you thinking? How are you going to get out of this? And then when he, you know, says that line, like, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. You're like, he got him. Right? <laughs> he got all of them. <laughs> and then you, you, you just celebrate this victory. But more and more, I've been reading this passage and I'm thinking about this poor woman. She is seen and known for her act of adultery. I don't think that's the first, for me at least, I'm thinking that's not the first impression I want to make on Jesus, right? Let alone an entire crowd of people, right? They're just being fully exposed. And she's there, afraid alone, fearing death, no trial, right? This is a full-blown conspiracy to try to trap Jesus in his teachings. She's not even recognized as a human being. She's, she's, she's bait. And I'm thinking as this woman, I'm thinking of moments in my life, and if you can imagine in your lives, where you felt so helpless, so alone. Where we thought to ourselves, can someone come to my rescue? Can someone take me out of this pit? Where is my defender? Where is my champion? And I know we've had moments in prayer maybe, or just maybe not even prayer, just full-blown lament crying out for help, moments of need, in desperation, 
whether it's in regards to family, troubled times of loved ones, sickness, financial crisis. It could be a thing as just, just being just overwhelmed with anxiety because of our job, because of our academics, of being betrayed. And the list goes on and on. And I can't imagine being in a worse situation than this woman. She's been caught in the act of adultery. It's undeniable. She's immediately called out for something that is humiliating. And although Jesus is the only one in that crowd that can cast the first stone, he doesn't. And we imagine, like Adam and Eve, that when Jesus walks into a situation like this, he's going to start throwing the stones. Right? Maybe some of us, we don't want to be seen by Jesus. We don't want to be known by him. Because we're afraid. Just like Adam and Eve. We hide ourselves. We don't want to be exposed. But here this woman has no choice. She's forced into this realm of everyone knowing what she has done. It doesn't matter about her character. It doesn't matter who she is. It doesn't matter all of her achievements. At that moment, she is known as a sinner. But Jesus, being the gracious God that he is and the loving friend, instead of casting the first stone, he extends grace. He defends her. He protects this woman in the midst of her shame and pain. At the same time, it's important to recognize that he doesn't condone her life apart from him. He wants to draw her close to him. But he doesn't force it. And it's important to recognize, and it says, and from now on, sin no more. He doesn't specify what sin. He doesn't say, stop being an adulterer, right? He just says, sin no more. He's not forcing her. He's like, now you need to repent, right? I saved you, repent now. No, he's, he's showing her, I see you, I know what you have done, and I love you. Jesus sees this woman and sees her transparently and fully. And it's interesting because Jesus had a tendency to meet people when we were experiencing the lowest point of our lives. In the scriptures, you'll see Jesus just encountering people over and over who just seem so far gone, right? There's, there's cheaters, there's prostitutes, there's the tax collectors who just are extortionists. There are all sorts of people that Jesus meets. That when they're experiencing the lowest point of life, he just has this, this powerful encounter with them. And see, we can do our best to cover up all the brokenness and shame and guilt in our life with all the fig leaves like Adam and Eve did. We can use all of our social media tools to present our best selves. We can be the wise, wisest and most charismatic person in the room to hide our fear, hide our insecurities. We can accumulate all of our educational and career achievements so that we can just show our, our highest points. 
But at the end of the day, we will have this great fear of being ignored and rejected. But this is the beauty of the gospel. Because Jesus says, I see you in your brokenness with all of your fears, all of your shame. All the things that people don't know about you, I see you and I know you. See, Jesus sees us truthfully, knows us intimately, and loves us unconditionally. We enter into friendship with Jesus not because he ruthlessly judges us by casting the first stone, but because he defended us with his life on the cross. As he died on the cross, he took all of the accusations against us, all of our brokenness, all of our shame, all of our guilt, and he took it on that cross in death. See, we imagine that God could only love us when we are at our best. And for me, growing up in church, and that, that was my experience. I always got to put my best fo foot forward. And even today, I, I'm still dealing with some of that. Um, because as you can tell, pretty much if I'm not preaching, I look like I'm going to the beach on Sundays. But for some reason when I'm preaching, right, it doesn't matter how hot it is. I was like, yesterday, I was like, I'm going to wear shorts today. Right, Russell has, he's, he's, he wore shorts. He wore a dog shirt once too. Right, like I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> Like, after this morning, I'm like, nope, can't do it. <laughs> right? It's still ingrained in me. <laughs> and we think that when we come to God, we have to present our best selves. But the amazing, powerful thing about the gospel is that he doesn't meet us at our best. He meets us when we're at our least. Amen. In Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. That's, I could, for me, I've been just trying to read this over and over, and like God made this scripture really impact my heart. That his own, he, gave, he demonstrated his own love by giving up his one and only son that while we were still sinners, while we were still far gone, while we were still, you know, just living in guilt and fear and shame in our brokenness, in our, in our evil desires, he died for us. And because of that, today, we can hear the voice of Jesus saying, I'm here, I'm present, I'm listening, and I love you. Uh, Timothy Keller in the book of Meaning of Marriage he has this one quote. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It is absolutely tiring trying to remedy this rift on our own. I've tried, tried, and tried. It is heartbreaking dealing with rejection. It is heartbreaking dealing with abandonment. It is heartbreaking just feeling alone all the time. It's tiring. But with this, Jesus says, I see you. I know you, even at your worst, I know you, and I love you. Um, 
A lot of the teaching team are academics and highly educated, and they're very smart. I'm not that smart. So when you hear a lot of the teaching, you hear some amazing theologians and quotes going up. Um, but this quote is by uh, a DJ and music producer. Um, <laughs> it's not a Christian song, but it seemed pretty appropriate. <laughs> and there's one line in the song that goes, Oh love, there's no need to hide. Just let me love you when your heart is tired. And for me, like, I don't know why, maybe because I'm a pastor, I just turned that into a Christian song in my head <laughs> of Jesus is speaking to me. Don't hide from me. You don't need to hide. I know where you are. I know where you are in your loneliness. I know where you are in your brokenness. I see you. I know you're afraid. I know about your insecurities. You don't need to hide. And when your heart is tired of trying to fix this on your own, know that I love you. That is the beauty of the gospel. So I, I want to end with this final question. How do we wish to be seen, known, and loved? You know, ideally, I would like to be seen for my best moments, known for my greatest achievements, and loved for the best parts of me. But at the deep core of who I am, man, is it, wouldn't it be amazing to be seen for all our wrongdoings, to be known for our worst moments, and to still be loved unconditionally? That is something that I just truly desire. And I'm going to ask the music team if they can come, um, come up. And I want us to take a moment just to pray. And if you're not, if you're not used to it, that's fine. Um, you know, the music team will be up here. And just take a moment just to reflect how hard we've been fighting and trying to be recognized, to be noticed. I don't know, maybe... Your entire life feels like you're just waving at people that you think you knew and they don't acknowledge you. Maybe you've just been sacrificing everything to try to move up the next ladder. Maybe we just, just, we just wish that someone can just say, I love you. Maybe we just want someone to extend help, to offer help, and just say, I'm there for you. And if you've just been struggling with that and battling with that, I challenge you, just take a leap today. Just take a chance. And just as we pray, just, just ask God, may I be fully seen, known, and loved by you. And just have a moment of just surrender to him. God, I'm tired. I'm tired of just always trying to keep up this personality. I'm tired of just trying to project this person that I'm not. I just feel lonely. I feel afraid. And just take a chance today and just say, God, can you be my strength? Can you be my comforter? Can you, bring, can you be my peace? And so if we just take a moment just to pray and just make that request to God. Maybe just today we just need to ask him simply, may I encounter your presence? Maybe we feel like that woman in, 
in the, in the story of John. We're thrown, we feel exposed, we feel broken. And we're crying out for someone to help us in our time of need and in time of trouble. And just try to just take a moment to listen to the voice of Jesus. I'm here. I'm present. I'm listening. And I love you. May those words just comfort our hearts today. May that truth just captivate us. That his grace and the sacrifice that he made on the cross will powerfully move us into this friendship with him. Maybe we've been trying to hide things from God. Trying to trim out the pieces of our lives that just seem broken or evil. Trying to prune some sins to manage it. But today, let's just be transparent and honest with God. Because when that happens, we get to see him fully. We get to know him more intimately. And then our desire to love him increases. So can we just take a moment to pray that? Heavenly Father, just comfort our hearts today. This battle in our lives of just wanting to be recognized, of just wanting to be loved. Let us know it could be found wholly and completely in you. That if we are willing to just open our hearts to you, that we can experience this abundance of peace. That we get to experience this abundance of love. That even though you know our worst moments, it does not change how you love us. It does not cheapen the work of the cross. You do not recall your grace because we messed up. But Father, your grace abounds even more deeply in our mistakes, in our faults. So Jesus, just be present in our hearts. Be present with us today at this moment. May you comfort those who feel lonely and abandoned, who feel rejected and passed upon, May you just captivate those who just feel so lost that your love may bring them peace. We thank you that you have died for us. That while we were still sinners, 
not waiting for us to achieve our most noble experiences. But Father, we look to you because of your faithfulness. May we be seen, known, and loved by you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm at this time, we're going to just continue in this reflection and just, just listening to God. Uh, and we're going to be entering into a time of communion. Um, so parents, if you have kids upstairs, you can feel free to go get them. Our communion ushers will be here in the front, two in the front, two in the back. So wherever you're closest to, feel free to um, receive your communion elements there. Our communion is open to all um, that are just willing. And this time is just, it's a confession of our, of our heart to God. Um, just saying that we love you, we believe in you. But it's also a reminder, um, and we do this weekly, and communion is a reminder that the body and the blood that was given to us, the body and blood of Jesus, it's a reminder that we are seen, known, and loved. And so as the music team kind of leads us in this time, um, feel, feel free to just step up whenever you feel ready. Um, like I said, it'll be two um, communion ushers in the back and two in the front. They're all gluten-free um, and vegan, <laughs> so you don't have to worry about that. Um, and let's just continue to take this time of reflection with God. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts, and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.